At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. The Gist is sponsored by Stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage right from your desk using your own computer and printer. Right now, get a no-risk trial and a $110 bonus offer by going to Stamps.com and using the promo code THEGIST. And by DraftKings. Start this football season by winning $2 million. This isn't fantasy as usual. This is DraftKings. Use code GIST to play free for a shot at $2 million in the week one $10 million millionaire maker. Go to DraftKings.com. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Monday, September 21st, 2015. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pesca. Pigs in the news. Pigs in the news. Pigs in the news. Pigs in the news. And while Dairy State son Scott Walker might be bowing out of the presidential race, we do have the appropriate amount of ham to go with that cheese. All right, no more Scott Walker. We'll get to him tomorrow. But today, important pig news, because the New York Times ran a correction that I will read to you in its entirety, a staggering correction. A news analysis last Sunday misstated the name of a cartoon character displayed at a Moscow diner. He is Porky Pig, not Porky the Pig. Yeah, they originally said Porky the Pig. Who says Porky the Pig? How does Porky the Pig pass 13 layers of New York Times editors? Cousin Balky does not even say Porky the Pig. Everyone knows it's Porky Pig, which is why I wasn't surprised to see the hashtag Piggate trending on Twitter. Because really, this was a scandal. Actually, Piggate is an entirely different scandal. It has to do with David Cameron and accusations of what he allegedly did to the head of a deceased pig at a college initiation ceremony. I googled it. Not glad I did. I'll just read you the headlines as they appeared on my screen. Turns out the Google algorithm seems to be sorting by delicacy of phrasing. All right, first result. David Cameron accused of sex act with a dead pig. Next, David Cameron put private part in dead pig's mouth. Next, David Cameron says he will not dignify claims. He put his genitals in the mouth of a dead pig. And then the New York Post, perhaps fearing that they were being too subtle with this whole thing, their headline was, David Cameron is accused of sticking his penis in a dead pig's mouth. (laughs) The less said about this, the better. It can't be true. But if it is, well, at least we know that David Cameron is comfortable talking about animal-related questions during Prime Minister's Question Time. Here is last week's PM Question Time. Jeremy Corbyn had just finished peppering the Prime Minister with questions about poverty and mental health and housing. And then a backbencher posed this query. Andrew Turner, the, um, the Isle of Wight Zoo is having difficulty importing a tiger. She was, she was firstly cruelly treated in a circus and now has been kept in isolation for nearly two years despite Belgium being wholly free from rabies. 
Will my right honourable friend assist in breaking through this bureaucratic lockdown? Yeah. I, I will certainly do uh, anything I can to help my honourable friend. Yeah. <laughs> I think the House wants to hear about the tiger. Let's hear about it. Okay, now that, that guy who was just yelling, the house wants to hear about the tiger. He's the speaker. He's the guy in the wig who is running the whole show. He's the authority figure. So Cameron laid out his tiger policy. So I had a constituency case exactly like this with the Cotswold Wildlife Park wanting to bring in a rhino. And I intervened and I'm delighted to say the Cotswold Wildlife Park named the rhino Nancy in honor of my daughter. And uh... Nancy, David Cameron's daughter, is 11 years old. And Nancy has been breeding uh, ever since she arrived. She is not a rhino, she is not breeding, and God hopes she is not on Twitter. On today's show, we discuss the three simple steps to American economic prosperity, or at least the middle class, though they might not be simple after all. We get a song from They Might Be Giants, and I spiel about why Dr. Ben Carson currently has no plans for the Muslim feast of Eid Adha. But now, the woman who defined the path to the middle class. Your to-do list, it can get out of control. So much to do, so little time, but there's one thing you can do to check off your to-do list. That post office thing, there's stamps.com. Your to-do list solution. Stamps.com allows you to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your home computer and printer. Stamps.com will send you a digital scale that automatically calculates the exact postage you need for any letter or package or class of mail. If just acquiring a scale to weigh things was on your to-do list, that's a double to-do. It's it's one, two, and two do's. You'll never waste valuable time going to the post office. You can do it all from your desk with Stamps.com. You print it up, you give it to the postal carrier. He says thanks, and it's easy. Right now, use my promo code, the gist for a special offer, a four week trial, a $110 bonus offer that includes the digital scale and up to $55 in free postage. Don't wait. Go to stamps.com before you do anything else. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in the gist. That's stamps.com. Enter the gist. At Catholic University of America last summer, Senator Marco Rubio explained the success sequence. It's a popular idea which lays out the three things Americans can do to raise successful children and to enter the middle class. In America, if you get an education, find a good job, and wait until marriage to have children, your chances of achieving economic security and professional fulfillment are incredibly high. In fact, if everyone in America lived lives that went in this order, in the order I've just outlined, some estimates are that the poverty rate would be cut by an estimated 70%. Conservatives, usually conservatives like Rubio, Rick Santorum talks about it. They're quite fond of talking about the sequence because it really emphasizes personal responsibility. It talks about family planning and it might be in line with their morals. Get married is the message, right? But marriage rates have collapsed in much of the developed world, including America. And this changing attitude can be explained in how the language has changed. We don't say bastard or illegitimate children. And the phrase living in sin has essentially been replaced with living in Silver Lake. There is no better thinker on all of these issues than Isabel Sawhill. She's an economist and senior fellow at Brookings. Her new book is called Generation Unbound. She's here. Hello, Isabel. Hi, Mike. So how bad is single parenthood? Well, on average, the kids in, that grow up in single-parent homes don't do as well as those that grow up in married-parent families. 
uh, or with two parents. We then have a big debate about why that is. Uh, could be that there's a lot of selection here. In other words, the people who get married have uh, are better off or better educated, for example, than those who break up or never marry in the first place, and that's what's going on. But even after you try to adjust for all those issues of selection into marriage, it still looks as if single parenting is not good for kids. Uh, they don't do as well in school. They don't do as well in life. and They have uh, many more problems. Now, that's on average. That's on average. Uh, that's on average. <laughs> I'm, a, so, I'm a single parent, and I hear that, and I don't get defensive. I just say, well, I, I understand how the math works and averages work. I hope that I'm on the one end of the bell curve. Exactly. And it's not meant to cover every single parent or every situation which is different. Many women are not single parents by choice, and they're doing the best they can. And so I think we have to be very careful about how we talk about that. You know, when I think about the problem of single parenthood and the political solution, it seems like the easiest solution is, well, then get married or stay married. But that's like saying the problem of homelessness. Here's a solution. Here's a house. It's a little more complicated than that. It's much more complicated than that. Marriage rates have collapsed uh, in most of the advanced world, but uh, especially in the U.S. And, you know, I think it's going to be very hard to put the genie back in the bottle. We have a lot more cohabitation now, uh, including uh, a lot of uh, serial cohabitation and very short-term cohabitation, people living together for a while in a romantic relationship, having kids, then breaking up and going on to new relationships. I think marriage has been a good institution, especially for kids. It's been beneficial for them. I'm not sure we know how to bring it back. There is another idea that you have put forth. It's uh, some very compelling research on what's called the success sequence, which says that if you graduate from high school, maintain a full-time job or have a partner who does so, and have children while married and after the age of 21, your success outcomes are so much better than if you don't go through that, those steps. How much better? Hugely better. I mean, the poverty rate in recent years has been around 15%. 15% of all Americans are poor. Uh, you could get that number down to about 2% if everybody followed the success sequence. You think our economy can handle that, really? Well, uh, sure. Huh. Uh, absolutely. Now, how we get there is a whole other question. Uh, the, uh, it would require that most people have uh, full-time jobs or have two earners in the family. And one of the problems with uh, single parents is, by definition, they can't have two earners. They can only have one, and that one earner is trying to do it all, uh, be both a breadwinner and a parent. So, uh, uh, and, and the economic part of it is not easy. Um, we, we don't have... Uh, tight labor markets right now. And we also have a lot of people who simply don't have the education and training to get whatever jobs are available. So yes, it's a huge challenge. And our success sequence isn't meant to say there aren't huge challenges. It's just meant to say it's a nice framework for thinking about where we need to put our uh, chips. And it's also a nice message to young people that if you could do these three things, you'd probably be okay. Stick to stick to the to the main 
uh, paths to, to success here. Do you think people who don't do it are unaware of the power of those three things or they just fall off the path for whatever reason, knowing full well that, hey, if I had a full-time job, things would be better, or if I didn't have kids when I was pregnant, things would be better, but I think happened. it's a little bit of both. Okay. I really do think, based on my research and focus groups and so forth, that there are an awful lot of people who are sliding into these situations that they didn't intend uh, because they're not giving enough thought to uh, the importance of uh, their education and having a job and so forth. And they're particularly not giving enough attention to the importance of having a long-term committed partner before you have kids. Uh, I mean, the, the data are very clear on that. 60% of children born to unmarried women are unplanned, unintended by the woman herself, according to what she tells the government survey people. And half of all births in America now are outside of marriage. So, you know, this is a huge problem. Uh, It's hard to raise a child with just one income, one potential income. Uh, For better or worse, in today's economy, to get to the middle class, you pretty much need two incomes unless you you know, work on Wall Street or something. How much should government do to help people achieve the success sequence? I think they should make sure that all forms of birth control are available at no cost to the women who need them and want them. And I think they should uh, also improve opportunities for people to get a decent education and a good job. And there's a whole complicated agenda, as you know, about especially the latter. When the success sequence isn't achieved, do you think it's mostly because of impediments, societal impediments, terrible schools, that sort of thing? Or do you think it's mostly because of grit or personal responsibility? I think it's both. Uh, And I think the best policies uh, are those that reward people for doing the right thing, for being personally responsible. And that's why I like something such as the earned income tax credit that says, if you work, you won't be poor. We're going to top up your wages to get you out of poverty. But we do expect you to work. And I also like the idea of some kind of jobs of last resort program that says, hey, if you really can't find a job after trying as hard as you can, uh, we'll we'll provide one for you. Um, And that's a fairly radical thing, but uh, I've increasingly come to uh, think that if people are trying to do their best and aren't succeeding, uh, that's our problem, not their problem. But there's also uh, an issue with uh, uh, not that many people trying that hard. When you look at the data on those who are not working at the bottom of the income scale, and there are a lot of them, and you ask them why they're not working, only about a third say it's because they can't find a job. Mm -hmm. And I'm talking about people who are, you know, between 25 and 54, in other words, in their prime working years. 
Uh, this campaign season, Marco Rubio's talked about the success sequence, Rick Santorum. Been around, the idea's been around for a while, and most politicians have either explicitly or implicitly talked about it. Is there a way that politicians or the people who could conceive of policies that would uh, strengthen the idea of the success sequences, is there a way they talk about it or think about it that mischaracterizes it or that annoys you in any way? I think there is a tendency to uh, wave one's hands and say, if you just do these three things, you won't be poor, mm-hmm. and that's too simplistic. It also often implies, depending upon who's talking about it and in what context, but it often implies that it is just a matter of personal responsibility. And personally, I don't think it is just a matter of personal responsibility. I think that matters, but... I think society has an obligation to help people climb the ladder as well, help people get a good education, help people get a decent job and have a decent wage. Well, that seems like a very moderate opinion, which will kill you in today's political environment. That is certainly true. (laughs) (laughs) Thank goodness I'm not running for, for any kind of office. Isabel Sawhill is an economist, a senior fellow at Brookings, author of Generation Unbound. Thank you. Thank you. Play to win a million dollars this week and every week this football season at DraftKings.com. Now, when you get the million dollars, might be a little awkward when you meet your fellow people on Easy Street. Hey, how'd you get on Easy Street? And when they say that, you know, it's with a little bit of irony, but it's mostly not. And when you have to admit, well, I figured Devontae Adams would come up gimpy, but I just rode Amari Cooper. I knew he'd bust a big one. And is that shameful? I don't know. You won the million dollars. Is it any less shameful than the guy who inherited his wealth? You proved it. You earned it. You earned it on DraftKings One Week Fantasy where you can play when you want to play with the team you want. You pick your contest, you pick your teams, you pick up your winnings. It's not the usual fancy, it's DraftKings. So what you do is you go to DraftKings.com, use the promo code GIST to play for free for a shot at a million dollars in this week's, I said this week's, Millionaire Maker event. Enter GIST for free entry now, and that's at DraftKings.com. DraftKings.com. And now the spiel, diasharia of the mouth. Dr. Ben Carson has earned over $2 million from speaking before Christian groups. His best-selling autobiography is described on its back cover as, quote, a chronicle of faith, courage, and determination, and of God's miraculous power. He has never, to my knowledge, delivered a stump speech where he didn't mention God, And he's only a political candidate after an attention-garnering performance at the National Prayer Breakfast in 2013. So to ask Dr. Ben Carson this... Should a president's faith matter? Should your faith matter to voters? It's like asking Donald Trump, do you like capitalism and conflict? This was the fattest media softball ever grooved down the pipe to a slugger who knew it was coming... And here's what Dr. Carson did with that pitch. Well, I guess it depends on what that faith is. If, if it's inconsistent uh, with the values and principles of America, then of course it should matter. But uh, if it fits within the realm of, uh, of America and consistent with the Constitution, mm-hmm. uh, no problem. Okay, so obviously that statement calls for a follow-up, specifically the exact follow-up that Chuck Todd posed. So do you believe that uh, Islam is consistent with the Constitution? Uh, no, I don't. I do not. I, I would not advocate that we put a Muslim 
in charge of this nation? I absolutely would not agree with that. Add it all up, and I say it disqualifies the, let's face it, already unqualified, Dr. Carson from the country's highest elected office. Fox News, however, framed it differently. Here's what they said. Hypothetical questions being discussed on the Sunday shows. Dr. Ben Carson is now under fire this morning for saying that he would not support electing a Muslim to be president of the United States. But some say that the question was a little unfair. Unfair? Who would say it's unfair? Well, the very guest Fox had on, Representative Peter King, the House of Representatives' most serious anti-terrorism voice, Here's what he thought about the question. I think you should throw in that question back at Chuck Todd and say, no, that's not even, you know, there was no Muslim running. You just, that's a trick question. Trick question? No, no, no. A trick question is, which month has 28 days? The answer, all of them. And if you get it wrong, you can't be president. All right, you can be president, but you can't separate conjoined twins. Anyway, what you can really do is you get a job opining on Fox like this guy, Todd Starnes. The mainstream media is waging a journalistic jihad on Republicans, lobbing gotcha bombs, and most recently at Donald Trump and Ben Carson. Gotcha bombs. I heard a few commenters on the right saying that this was a gotcha question. That's one way they have of thinking about this. This was not a gotcha question. This was a botcha answer. Hey, what's up is a gotcha question if the answer is, oh, I'm about to insert my private parts into a dead pig's mouth. You? If this was such a gotcha question, why did John Kasich answer it correctly? And Lindsey Graham and Jeb Bush and Ted Cruz, who said, quite simply, no, I believe in the Constitution and the Constitution says no religious test. Even Carson's campaign knew that their candidate screwed up. Here's NBC reporting on that. Carson's campaign today clarifying his remarks, saying while Carson has great respect for the Muslim community and believes a Muslim should be allowed to run, he just doesn't believe the American people are ready for that. Uh, could we just go back and play once more the description that NBC reporter Haley Jackson used in characterizing the campaign statement? Today, clarifying his remarks. I would not go with clarifying, maybe walking back, attempting to minimize, or flat out contradicting their candidate. You know, if you want to win the nomination, even if you are crass, craven, calculating, cold, even if you want to win the nomination at all costs and you will do and say anything to appeal to the anti-Muslim sentiment within some circles of the GOP, you know, or you should know, not to say such stupid things explicitly. This is why they invented the dog whistle, Dr. Carson. Every other candidate gets this. Donald Trump, blunderbuss though he is, knows this. It's not harboring this viewpoint that's disqualifying, though it should be. It's how clumsily Dr. Carson expressed it. But this was a gotcha question in one way. It was a question that gotcha eliminated from any realistic shot at electability. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi, just producer, used to spend many joyous childhood afternoons watching the mystery-solving antics of Shaggy, Velma, and Scooby the Doo. Andy Bowers is our executive producer. His cartoon Penguin loyalties are evenly split between Tennessee the Tuxedo and Chili the Willy. The gist, sometimes I feel like Top the Cat, but other times I feel like that round-headed kid when Lucy swipes the football. Yes, Charlie the Brown. And it makes me sad. 
And then I think about some things that make me glad, like the fact that the Red Wings should have a pretty good season and that Kwame Kilpatrick's still in jail and that the auto industry is booming. See, it's not so hard. It's not so hard to take They Might Be Giants advice. We debut a new They Might Be Giants song every Monday as part of the Dial a Song initiative. Oh, oh, here's another one. Jack White paid $142,000 to save the Masonic Temple, and there's a Whole Foods eight blocks away from that. See, it's not so hard. It's not so hard to say nice things about Detroit. Say something nice.